Hello there, welcome to May Fight Club. I'm your host, Manny Galarza. Today we're talking about Dana White's Contender Series coming up this Tuesday, the 26th of July, with an 8 p.m. Eastern start time. The event's being held at the UFC Apex Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada. This will be week one and season six. If you don't know what Dana White Contender Series is, I'll give you a quick synopsis of what it is. They'll have five fights, all very up-and-coming guys, mid-20s, and gals. They'll fight on Tuesdays, looking for fighters all around the world who come in need to get a win and need to usually get a win by some kind of dramatic fashion knockout submission and in the show dana white goes and actually sits down and sort of huddles with a few different executives and talks about each of the fights and decides who they'll take and who they won't take but consider this there's a lot of factors at stake it's not just how they fought it could come down to also that division do they have a lot of bodies in that for example the heavyweight division a division that's kind of in flux they just need more guys and obviously the quality of competition right now in the heavyweight division is kind of like up and down the top top is good the middle parts uh, and the bottom part is the bottom part. So they're looking for fighters in certain division. Also, there's been cases in the past where they've taken both fighters and given them a contract. But again, the rule of thumb with Dana White Contender Series is if you're fighting on that show, you need to get a finish in order to get your contract. So expect some violence. All the fights are normal time, five-minute rounds, three rounds. And again, all up-and-coming fighters. If you look back at their topology, trying to find film on them, it gets tough. We did the best we can here with this breakdown to give you as much information as we can about each fighter, but trust us, there's still a lot of variables, and we're sort of guessing in a few spots. We're guessing that this guy has pretty good cardio right now. We're guessing that this guy came back from his injury. We're guessing that this guy fought some decent competition because the quality of competition, who they're fighting, that is probably one of the hardest things to answer when looking at the breakdowns. With all that said, we're going to go over each fight one fight at a time, give you our favorite pick to win each fight, talking about some prop bets along the way. Most books don't even offer prop bets for this, and if they do, it's very last minute. I'll be talking more about the money line bets, the bets I'll be taking straight up, and then at the end, we'll give you a summary of some of the parlays we'll be playing. We're going to start right now with a breakdown of the first fight in the card. Here we go. The card opens up with a flyweight bout at 125 pounds between the Brazilian fighter Alessandro Costa, who goes by Nono, versus Andres Luna Martinetti, also from South America, but he's from Ecuador. The Ecuadorian fighter is 12-0, undefeated, currently a dog here at plus 200. He's 26 years old and 11 months, so about to be 27. Five foot seven in height, but we do not have a reach number on him. Based upon watching him fight, it seems like his arms are comparable to his height, so I would imagine he's probably got around a 65, 64-inch reach based upon being 5'7". I'm going to guesstimate that. He trains out of Nova Uniao, which is a very good gym down in South America. As for Alessandro Costa, who goes by Nono, he's 10-2 overall, 5-0 in his last five fights. A big favorite here at minus 240. He hails out of Mexico currently, though he originally is from Brazil. 5'3 in height. Again, no reach nerve on him. Having watched him fight, I'm going to guesstimate his reach is around 61, 62 inches. Again, comparable to his height. He trains out of Legacy MMA and Brazilian Warriors. As for the votes on Tapology, it's fairly close. Luna Martinetti is getting 59% of the votes. 41% of the votes are coming in for Costa. I like Costa to win the fight. I think that his grappling will be the difference maker. These guys are very similar on the feet. They've fought similar low-level competition. Their records are similar, experience a lot of similarities. I believe the big difference in this fight will be determined through the grappling. And for Costa, I wouldn't even be surprised if he got a submission win in this fight. Now look at the profile of these two fighters, Alessandro Costa, who's from Brazil, has no amateur career record. He went pro in 2015, so been a pro for about seven years. He fought in Lux Fight League and Combate prior to the Dana White Contender Series opportunity. He fought Kike Gonzalez in his last fight. That was last year. Round three TKO win. Kai Gonzalez is 10-3 overall, so decent prospect. Again, low level, but at least that guy has a winning record. A prior fight to talk about, Ivan Hernandez Flores, 2019, about three years ago, a split decision loss. 
Flores is 10-4-1 overall. Again, not a terrible opponent, a guy with winning record. It was a tight fight. He lost by a split decision. In round one of that fight, he chased a bunch of submissions, didn't get them, but got very close. At the same time, at the end of round one, he gets cracked. And that's one thing about watching some of his film. He does get cracked. Now, he deals with it, kind of recovers, but he'll stand in exchange with his opponent. And in doing that, his chin's wide open, and he's open to getting hurt or cracked. Now, some things I like about Alessandro Costa. I like that he's a grinded-out fighter on the ground. Once he gets you to the ground, he's brutal. He'll grind you out, and he knows how to get a TKO finish on the ground. He knows what he's good at. He's good at wrestling, and so he actively looks to get the fight to the ground. He's also got very good finishing skills. Eight of his ten wins have been finishes. Six by submission and two by TKO. What does that tell us? He's pretty good at submissions. He's obviously capable of finishing people, and he's doing it at a very high rate. He's a very active fighter as well. He fought two times last year, once 2020, that was the COVID year, and twice 2019. Now, what are my concerns for Costa? The one obvious one, which I also have for Luna Martinetti, is what's the quality of competition of the opponents they've beaten? And when you look back at their topology, it's not very good competition. It's okay. There's a few names here and there. Like we talked about Ivan Hernandez Flores, who's a pretty good opponent. But overall, it's low-level guys. So we just don't know who these guys are. There's still a lot of question marks. And granted, they're on a show like this, the Anybody Contender Series. So there are going to be question marks in all the fights we break down. But for me, the big question mark for him is the quality of competition. I don't know what that is. It's just a variable we can't answer. And so I'm not really sure about these wins. Like the high finish rate, for example, eight finishes and ten wins. It looks good on paper, but who are these guys? And I mentioned a few minutes ago, he doesn't mind sitting and trading with his opponent. The problem is, it looks good for the fans. It's exciting, right? They're going back and forth. They're slugging it out like Rocky. But he's open to getting clipped. And he gets clipped quite often. As for Luna Martinetti from Ecuador, he had a 1-0 amateur record. He went pro 2014. He has fought for UWC and FFC. His last opponent was Paul Moreno, 2021. He got a round two submission win. Moreno is 7-11 overall. Another fight to talk about, Francisco Benitez, which was the fight before Moreno. That was in 2021 as well. He had a round one TKO win. Very impressive. But again, the record of Benitez is 6-9 overall. And Benitez has lost four straight fights. So his last two wins, they look good from the standpoint that he's getting finishes. That's quality. Good. Winning streak. That's all positive. But the quality of opponent, the same questions I have about Costa. Who are they fighting? Now, I will say, looking at Costa's fights, he's fought at least some guys who have winning records. In the case of Martinetti, I think he's really fought some cans. 12-0, that's impressive, yes, but who has he fought? Now, what's the like about Martinetti? He is lethal on the ground. Once he gets you to the ground, that's it. He knows what it takes to finish the fight on the ground. So don't be on your back against this guy. If you're on your back with him on, on top of you, you're in a bad situation. A very impressive record as we talked about. 12-0 undefeated. He's got good finishing ability. Eight of his 12 wins have been finishes. He's also a very active fighter. He fought three times last year, one time 2020, and three times 2019. Now, what are my concerns for him? What does he do wrong? Well, it's not his fault, but he suffers from the same thing that Costa suffers from. He just hasn't fought good guys. He stands very tall when he fights. And standing tall, his front leg, his lead leg is wide open to get attacked. If you watch some of the film, he leaves that front leg open. It gets attacked. And Martinez will be the much taller fighter in this matchup. From a striking standpoint, the four inches in height, that's good. Probably has longer arms, which we don't know for sure, but probably has longer arms, longer legs. That's all good. But if this fight's coming down to wrestling or grappling, which I think it's going to come down to that, both guys like to do that, then he loses the leverage. If you know what I'm saying, like he's the taller guy. So the shorter guy being Costa can like get under his chin easier, get, you know, get under his armpits, get those body locks. And I do believe when it comes down to in those clinch situations and they start wrestling, I think Costa's a little more powerful. Now, I'm not sure about cardio. That's going to be a big question mark again. We don't know. But in the actual initial clinches, I think Costa is better there. I think he gets the fight to the ground. I think he gets on top. And then when it comes to submission ability and jiu-jitsu, 
he's far and away much better than Martinetti. Now, Martinetti is crafty. He's good on the ground. He'll chase his own submissions, too. So if the fight gets to that point where it's a grappling exchange, I like the chances there for Costa. And that height difference, again, may not be a, a positive for Luna Martinetti at that point, where he's, again, the longer, thinner fighter against a more compact grappling wrestler type. We watched three fights right on this film. We watched Martinetti versus Benitez, 2021. Martinetti versus Solis from 2019, and Costa versus Flores from 2018. If you want to watch any one of those three fights as part of our free video library, just look down below here on YouTube in our description. You'll see those three links available. They're very similar. Experience-wise, almost the same. Both have pretty good finishing ability, decent strikers, and if there's any area where I see a small difference, it's in the grappling BJJ, and I think that's where Costa has the advantage, and that's why I'm choosing him to win. At minus 240 in the money line, you don't love it. It's very chalky. Not going to play it straight up. I'm not going to pay that 240 bucks or so to make 100 I will parlay Costa. We'll go over those parlays at the end of the episode. I like Costa to win. If you're going to play any props for this fight, I think the fight does not go the distance. Both guys have finishing ability, not to mention it is Dana White Contender Series. They kind of all know they need a finish to get a contract, and even that, it's got to be like an exciting finish in some cases to get a contract. So they should be thirsty to get a finish. Both guys have a lot of finishes on their resume. I think if the props available on your book to bet the fight and knock on the distance, that might be a prop to look at. That's your breakdown, guys. We're on Costa to win the fight. Good luck with this one. The next fight in the card is going to be a featherweight battle at 145 pounds between two American fighters. Dennis Bazooka, who's 7-2 overall. Kelly Romero, who's 6-1 overall. Romero is 4-1 in his last five fights. He hails from Sacramento, California. 26 years old. 5 foot 10 in height. We do not have a reach number on him. He trains out of MMA Gold Fight Team. As for Dennis, he's 7-2 overall. 4-1 his last five fights. He's based out of Staten Island, New York. 24 years old. 5 foot 9 in height with a 72 inch reach. And he trains out of Longo and Weidman MMA. A lot of similarities, but they do not fight the same. Dennis Bazooka is more the striker, likes to work on the feet, whereas Kelly Romero, who's a former high school wrestler in California, is a wrestling predominant guy. He'll set up his wrestling through a few strikes, does that prototypical Khabib thing where he throws a big overhand right just to set up a double leg takedown, and it's very prevalent in his film. He doesn't hide it. That's his path to victory. Now, as for the votes coming in on Tapology, Bazooka is the favorite, getting 89% of the votes, only 11% coming in for Romero. I'm on the side of Kelly Romero. This will be a dog or pass pick for me. I think this fight is more or less a pick em. They're so even. Again, a lack of experience, only a handful of total fights, 24-year-old versus 26-year-old. It's their biggest fight of their career, probably their toughest opponent thus far as well. So I'm going to choose Kelly Romero to win, but I don't have a lot of confidence. I'm going to play in very small play, maybe like a quarter unit on the money line, and no parlaying. I think Bazooka has a chance to win on the feet. If the fight is predominantly on the feet, he will have a path to victory. But I'm depending on Kelly Romero to do the wrestling. I think he's going to get enough tie-up time against defense, make it ugly, and drag down Dennis for at least two of the three rounds to get an ugly decision. Unfortunately, if it's an ugly decision, they probably won't get a contract. I think both these guys right now, it might be too soon for them anyway for the UFC. Now looking at the profile of Dennis Pazucha. He's from Staten Island, New York. He had a 5-1 amateur career. He went pro in 2018. He fought in Ring of Combat prior to this opportunity in Day 1 Contender Series. He's training partners with Aljamain Sterling, so trained at a very good gym with high-level UFC fighters. And this will be his second time around on Day 1 Contender Series. In 2020, he fought against Melsic Bagdasarian, lost by decision, a very tough fight. He got overwhelmed. Melzik's coming forward, tons of pressure, backs him up, piecing him apart, especially early in the fight. Now, as the fight went on, like round two, round three, Melzik started to slow down a little bit. The fight got a little more even, but he got overwhelmed. That fight got beat up. Now, it should be noted, Melzik is 2-0 now currently in the UFC, has won his first two UFC fights. It's not the worst fight to have a loss. And again, a close fight where he took all the damage from Melzik, was able to survive it. And even looking at round three, he had an armbar attempt in round three that was very close. He had Melzik in some danger, didn't get it, of course, but still a lot of positive things about that fight. He fought Shaquan Moore, 2021, last year, 
won the fight by decision. Shaquan Moore is 1-3 overall, and he barely beat him by decision. Against Melsic, he looked pretty good. Against Shaquan Moore, didn't look very good. A low-level guy that he should have easily beat. Instead, he barely gets a win there. Now, what's it like about Dennis Pajuka's game? He's got good finishing ability himself. Three of his seven wins have been by finish, and he's very durable. He has not been finished. He's on a three-fight winning streak, and he's got KO power in his hands and his legs. Now, what are my concerns for Dennis? Number one, the pressure. If you look back at the Melsic fight, he did not deal well with someone just coming straight forward on him. His footwork was limited. He kind of just balled up, took a lot more strikes than he should have. So he faces a guy who has good forward pressure. He seems to have a hard time with that. And his stand-up defense is not excellent. In the fight against Melsic, he's trying to block strikes, but he's still taking a bunch of damage. Not the greatest head movement. He was a minus 130 favorite two years ago against Melsic. He lost that fight. Two years later, he's a minus 240 favorite now. What has happened in the last two years where he should now be almost a two and a half to one favorite? I'm not sure. That does scare me. I don't like betting him on the money line. That's a big reason why I'm also considering this fight as a dog or pass. Now, as for Kelly Romero, the former California high school wrestler, he went 5-0 as an amateur. He went pro 2018. He fought in combate part of the NY Contender Series. His last fight was against Andy Perez last year. Won the fight, round one KO. Perez is 7-13 overall. And he's lost seven of his last eight fights. So not the most quality level of opponent. He fought Israel Delgado in 2019, three years ago. Won that fight by decision. That full fight, I watched the entire fight. And what you see in that fight is the prototypical Kalia Romero. He's trying to wrestle the entire time. One or two big punches, wrestle, wrestle, wrestle. A lot of the fight he's getting denied. Cannot get the takedowns. But he sticks with it. And he sticks with it for all three rounds and squeaks out a decent quality decision. He's not an exciting fighter. He doesn't do anything flashy. It's Khabib-like. A few big overhand punches. Probably going to miss. Double leg takedown. Control, control, control. I think he does that, though, enough for this fight to win. Unfortunately, it's probably not enough to get the contract, though. Now, what are my concerns for Killer Romero? He's wrestling and grappling dependent. So much so that if he cannot get position control on the ground or against the fence, he probably loses. He's got a very high finish rate. Five of six wins have been by finish. And he can easily fight out of a left-hand stance or right-hand stance. Now, my concerns for Romero, the obvious one, he is very wrestling dependent. If he cannot wrestle and get position control... He probably loses the fight. That's something that makes him a bit of a one-dimensional fighter, a one-trick pony. If he cannot get position control, he has a hard time winning. In the process of trying to get his takedowns, like I mentioned before, the big overhand right and then leaning in, he leans in head first. If somebody timed him correctly with a knee, uppercut, some kind of a counter, he's wide open. So he leans in real hard with his head, which can be very dangerous against a good counter striker. And the big looping shots he throws at times instead of the takedowns, it leaves him naturally off balance. Again, setting him up for counter strikes. He's got to be careful he doesn't go in too hard with his head off balance and set himself up for a counter strike that could end the fight right there and then. We watched two fights right on this film. We watched Romero versus Delgado from 2019 and Dennis Pazukja versus Bagdasari in 2020. If you want to watch those two fights, the links for those two fights are down below in our description here as part of our free video library. In summary, guys, we're going dogger pass. If Dennis can keep the fight in the feet, he probably wins. If Kaleo can get enough control time, grapple it up, make it ugly, I think he wins. We've seen some fights recently where the better grappler wrestler was able to control enough time on the floor to ugly it up and get the win. I don't believe Dennis is, let's say this, seasoned enough to deal with that kind of pressure and pace for three rounds. Same time, I could be wrong, but it is a dogger pass pick here, plus 180. I like Khalil Romero to win. I'm going to bet him straight up. No parlaying here. Good luck with this fight, guys. Next up, we have a light heavyweight bout at 205 pounds between the Brazilian fighter Asasio dos Santos, who goes by Pequeno, Pequeno means small or little, versus Anton Turco, who goes by the Pleasure Man. 
That's a pretty cool nickname. Turkle hails from Sweden. He's 7-0, undefeated fighter. Currently minus 195, favorite on the money line. He's 26 years old. He's 6'4 in height, and he trains out of GBG MMA. As for Asasio Dos Santos, he's 14-4 overall, a little more fighter experience. 4-1 his last five fights. He's the underdog at plus 165. He hails out of Sao Paulo, Brazil, 30 years old, 6-4 in height. We don't have a reach number either one of these guys, but I want to talk more about the height. I went back and looked at a fight of Dos Santos versus Matthias Scheffel. Matthias Scheffel is currently fighting the PFL. Matthias Scheffel is listed as six foot two. You look here in Tapology, you got Dos Santos listed as six foot four. But when they fought against each other, it looks like they're the same height. If not, maybe Scheffel is a little bit taller. Now, does that mean maybe Scheffel's numbers are off or maybe Santos's numbers are off? I'm just bringing it up because I'm not sure if the height is accurate with either one of these guys. We got six foot four for Anton, six foot four for Santos. I have a feeling one of these two guys is taller. And they're gonna be like significantly taller just not sure which one so when it comes to the height and reach it's pretty much a toss-up for santos he trains out of power lotus team now after the votes coming in on tapology turkle is the big favorite getting 90 percent of the votes only 10 percent coming in for dos santos that's a little surprising i didn't feel like i had that much of an edge on film when i watched turkle i think he's the better fighter but i emphasize think i don't have a lot of confidence and being almost a two-to-one favorite that's a little bit scary now looking at the profile of these two fighters for Anton Turkle, 11 and three amateur record. That's interesting because he's got a seven fight pro career so far. You're thinking only seven total fights. Yeah, but 14 amateur fights, a little bit deceiving. He's a lot more experienced than people might realize. He went pro 2018. He fought in Brave CF part of this opportunity in the contender series and Brave CF's a solid promotion good competition. Anton's coming off with an exciting win in his last fight against Konstantin Saldatov. That was last year, a round one, 13-second spinning back fist knockout. He also fought Ebo Aslan, 2020, two years ago, beat him round two rear naked choke, and that was also in Brave CF. So those are two fights we looked at. Now, what's the like about Anton? Very high finish rate. All seven of his wins are finishes, five by TKO and two by submission. He's also never been finished himself. Obviously, he's undefeated. And he's fairly active. He fought one time last year. He's fighting for the first time this year, and he fought twice in 2020. And we mentioned before the amateur fights, right? 14 amateur fights. So even though people see the 7-0 pro record, he's fought 21 total fights. So he's got a little more experience than people might realize. Now, my concerns for Anton, number one, he hasn't fought very good competition. In his defense, he's still early in his career, very young, only 26 years old, but still hasn't really been tested, hasn't fought any names we recognize. And being that he's very young, whatever information we have on him is still spotty. We don't really know who this fighter is. Will he still be fighting in five years? Will he make it into the UFC? So when I'm doing this breakdown, I have to acknowledge to you as the listener, I don't have a great understanding of who this fighter is. It's just bits and pieces of the beginning of a career. And from that perspective, I'm still left with a lot of question marks about who Anton is. Now, as for Asasio Dos Santos, the Brazilian fighter, no amateur experience. He went pro in 2013. He began his career with two losses in his first four fights. Not the best start. Now, since then, has obviously amassed a nice 14-4 overall record. He fought SFT, part of the Dana White Contender Series opportunity. He does fight into both stances. Watching him on film, it's noticeable. He switches stances with ease. It's no problem for him to fight with a left-handed stance or right-handed stance, and he has power in both hands. He's coming off of a win by decision earlier this year. It was a rematch against Marcos Brigaggio. They had fought before 2021, but that fight ended it with an arm injury anyway that last fight he wins by decision Bragaggio is 14 and 5 overall he also fought Matthias Shuffle we mentioned this earlier Matthias Shuffle is currently in the PFL and just had an amazing win over Bruno Capeloza a very big upset nonetheless Matthias Shuffle and him fought 2019 and Asasio won that fight 
by a split decision. It was a pretty exciting fight. In round one, Asasio gets knocked out himself, gets a little bit stunned, comes back, does a good job. It goes the full distance, surprisingly enough. Cardio was a bit of an issue for him. I do like the fact that he showed a good chin, was able to come back and win the fight, but he slowed down a lot. Cardio wasn't great, and he definitely leaves himself wide open when he's swinging. So when he's going at it with somebody, he has no regard for his own safety. Now, what's to like about Asasio Dos Santos? He's a very active fighter. He's had two grappling bouts this year, and this will be a second mixed martial arts fight this year. He also fought one time last year in mixed martial arts. He has more than double the amount of pro fights that his opponent in this matchup, so he does have significantly more pro experience. And he throws with a lot of power. When you watch him on film, it's clear he's throwing with him bad intentions. He wants to hurt his opponent. An easy path of victory for him is knocking somebody out early in the fight. Now, what are my concerns for him? Durability. Look back at his topology. Of his four losses, three of those he was finished in. He's got limited finishing ability himself. His last six wins were all by decision. And that shocked me. I had to look at that two or three times. Because when you watch him on film, he's throwing with some heat. He looks like a heavyweight almost out there, the way he throws. But his last six wins have all been by decision so it doesn't seem to have finishing power he throws big looping shots at times gets off balance kind of ducks his head over the head shots it leaves him off balance it fatigues him it also leaves him open for counter punches and my last concern for him he'll stand in trade look back at the matthias shuffle fight if you want to watch that fight the link's down below in the description against shuffle he just stands in trades he gets clipped he gets knocked down now granted shows a good chin comes back he's probably the kind of guy where he has a little bit too much faith in his chin but he will stand in trade with you it's not always a good recipe especially with guys who are heavier and bigger both these guys have power you stand in trade it's sort of like playing russian roulette 50 50 whether you're gonna get knocked out yourself or the other guy gets knocked out we watched three fights to break down this film. We watched Turkle versus Aldatar from 2021, Turkle versus Aslan from 2020, and Dos Santos versus Chef from 2019. I will admit, fighting film on Dos Santos was very difficult. Couldn't find much. I'm glad at least we had that film versus Sheffield. Granted, it's three years ago, so he could have been making some big improvements since then, but at least watching that fight gives you an idea of what this guy looks like and the way he fights. My last few thoughts in this fight, guys. Experience-wise, I have to give the edge to Dos Santos. He has fought 18 pro mixed martial arts fights compared to seven for Turkle. I know Turkle's got the amateur experience, whereas Santos doesn't have any amateur experience, but still, the pro experience is on the side of Santos. Cardio, I give the edge to Turkle. I mentioned before, looking at Santos' recent fight against Matthias Shuffle, well, recent being three years ago, he looked fatigued at times. Now, Turkle, I've only watched part of his fights. I haven't seen a ton of film on him either, but seems to be the guy who has a little bit better cardio management, seems to be fresher later in the fight. For finishing ability, I give the edge to Turkle. We talked about the numbers. He's got many more finishes, seven straight finishes total in his seven wins as a pro, whereas Santos has been to decision for a win in his last six straight fights. In terms of striking, I think Santos has a lot of power. Maybe I give him the edge in power, but Turkle's going to have the better volume, better technique, and even his technique is not amazing, but Santos' technique is like the Mike Tyson technique. Just duck your head, throw it over your head, you know, hope it lands, not very technically sound, and the volume tends to go down over the course of the fight. And last but not least, grappling. Grappling is a big question mark for me. I don't know how good or bad Santos is at grappling. I haven't seen it really on film. He seems to want to stand up and fight. Anton Turkle will grapple a little bit. He's okay at it. Could be a way for him to win a round or win some points by taking down Santos and getting some top control. But still, when it comes to grappling, I can't give it edge either way. The fight not going to decision is a prop I would look at. I think one of these two guys clips each other. That could be Santos clipping Turkle. Yep, that could happen. Or Turkle wearing out Santos and he can win somehow by submission or finishing on the ground. I like Turkle by TKO. I think that could be his method to victory. So those are two props that I would consider. But in summary, I like Anton Turkle to win the fight. Don't love the money line. A bit chalky for my liking. I'll put it into a parlay. That's the breakdown, guys. Good luck with this fight.
And we're up to the co-main event for Dana White Contender Series Week 1 of 2022. It's going to feature a battle in the Bantamweight division at 135 pounds between the Brazilian fighter Souza, who's 11-1 overall. His first name is Willian, not William, Willian. So it's William, but with an N at the end, not an M. It's not a misspelling. Uh, so yes, Willian Souza versus Farid Bashrat. And you may recognize the name Farid Bashrat in that he is the brother um, of another Bashrat, Javid Bashrat. Javid Bashrat fought on Dana White Contender Series last year, 2021, earned himself a contract, made his UFC debut. First fight, was it last year or this year? Won his first fight, uh, I guess it was last year, against Trevin Jones. So he's off to a good start, and his brother here, Farid, is 8-0, undefeated. So it runs in the family. I do want to caution, though, it's very common that we see brothers or sisters in the UFC, for example, Shevchenko, or in the case of the Figueroa brothers, where one sibling tends to be like primo on top, and the other sibling is, let's just put it this way, not as good, right? It probably happens in every sport. Like there's Serena and Venus Williams, where Venus was pretty good, but Serena like was the coup de la. I'm not sure that's the case. If you do watch film on Farid Bashrat, I'm going to tell you, it reminds you a lot of Javid. It's hard not to recognize it. And just to be full disclosure here, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to be honest. When I was first looking at the film of Farid Bashrat, I thought to myself, wow, he looks like this other guy, Bashrat. I wonder if they're brothers. I didn't know. I didn't know. They look kind of alike, but then again, same, same, but different. Um, nonetheless, I looked it up, you know, Googled it, and they happen to be brothers, in fact. And they fight very similarly. Yeah, a lot of similarities. Again, he's undefeated. Lots of like about him. But that question remains, who is the better sibling? And if you did watch Javid fight last year, he's pretty damn good. Good kicks, good leg kicks, good front kicks, just a variety of kicks in general. And that is also what his brother does. For the Brazilian fighter, he's 26 years old. Farid's 25. They're one year apart. Now, there will be a significant height advantage for Souza. He's 5'11", and even though Farid Bashrat fights a very long game and uses length and kicks whatnot, he is kind of shorter. He's 5'6", five, 5 inches shorter than his opponent, Souza. Souza trains out of World Fighting System, and Bashrat's training out of Extreme Couture with his brother. Now, as for the public votes on Tapology, Bashrat's getting 80% of the votes, only 20% coming in for Souza. Clearly, the public likes Bashrat. I like him, too. The mail line has him at minus 240. A little chalky for my liking. You got Souza at plus 200. I've already heard some cappers out there suggesting that Souza's a good dog play. I cannot disagree. If you like Souza, he is 11-1 overall. 11-fight winning streak. A lot of things to like about him. Now look at the profile of each fighter. Farid Bashrat is from Afghanistan. He had a 4-0 amateur record. He went pro in 2018. He fought in UC MMA, War of Titans, and Octagon prior to this opportunity with the Anaheim Contender Series. Farid's last fight was against Raul Guzman. That was in March of this year. He had a round two submission win. Guzman is 6-5 overall, so just putting it in perspective, a 500-level fighter. He did a great job starting the fight off with his striking, leg kicks, front kicks, and then actually knocks the guy down with a head kick, then proceeds to get a submission. If you don't watch the fight and you're just looking at it on paper and you're just going tapology and perusing, you're going to see, oh, submission. He's got a lot of submissions, actually. But that wasn't really a submission. He knocked the guy down fully with a head kick. He hurt the guy. Now he just used a submission to finish the fight. But that was, in some ways, a KO victory. He showed very good striking in that fight. Now, another thing about that fight, and I would encourage you to watch it yourself, he got stunned. Like, he got stunned to the point where he fell to a knee, kind of wobbled, wobbled across the octagon, and he showed veteran savvy, survival skills, started to grapple, immediately got his wits about him, then took top control. I would encourage you to watch that fight. That was just a few months ago. So we've seen him show some veteranship there and deal with getting hurt. 
And then a fight two years ago against Marco Zanetti. That was a main event fight, and that was part of the Contender Series Norwich 29. Don't ask me what that is. I'm not sure if you win that. Do you get like a Norwegian contract? It's not related to the Dana White Series. It's not part of the UFC. Nonetheless, two years ago, main event against Marco Zanetti. He won the fight by decision, had some good moments in that fight, and guess what he did again? He knocked out his opponent with a nice head kick. The guy's kicking game is ruthless. He can kick you to the body, to the body, to the legs, yes, but the head kick's always there just like his brother Javid. So very good striker. I'd say his striking arsenal by far is much better than anything he offers on the ground. Though, again, if you just look at topology, you see the submissions, right? But the submissions are coming on the edge of him hurting people, almost knocking people out with the strikes or overwhelming them with strikes and then using the submission to finish the fight. Now, what do I like about Fareed's game? He switches stances very easily. He'll start a left-handed stance. He'll go back and forth. He has power equally on each side. I like that because it gives his opponent something to think about. He's able to hit his opponent from different angles and mix things up. And we mentioned before, good survival skills. That shows high fighter IQ, veteran savvy. If he does get hurt, it won't be foreign territory. He's been there before, and we know he responds to it well. He has a very high finish rate. Six of his eight wins are by finish. Five by rear naked choke and three by TKO. Again, five by rear naked choke. If you look at that on paper, you don't look at it in detail, you're thinking, oh, this guy's a submission BJJ guru. No, he's not really. He's He is proficient on the ground, but he's finishing people through that method, but he's setting them up through a lot of other methods. So look, the guy's got high fighter IQ, again, five submissions in eight total fights by rear naked choke, along with three TKO finishes. He knows how to finish people. With that said though, don't let it fool you. He's more of a striker. He's much better on the feet. And as we were just talking about the striking, he has a very good striking attack, both with his hands and with his feet. And if you combine his amateur record and pro record, he's on a 12 fight winning streak. Now, what are my concerns about Fareed? Number one, he does keep his hands low karate style stance it's just part of the style unfortunately a quick jab or someone who hits you with quick punches i feel like his head's always there but good head movement but his hands are low and here's where the topology could fool you he's got these rear naked choke finishes five submission finishes in a short career so far but he's not amazing at grappling or wrestling if he were to face let's say for example like a dagestani type of wrestler you know those guys from russia that are just relentless on the ground i don't think he would do very well i think he would have a hard time so he's not amazing at the wrestling and the grappling and then just like his brother he can get a little too fancy for his own liking sometimes, which means he'll throw like a spinning something, kick, whatever, something wild, gets off balance, could be countered or taken down by a good wrestler. Souza, decent wrestler, but likes to fight in the feet as well. Now, as for William Souza, the Brazilian fighter, he has no amateur record. He went pro 2017. He lost his pro debut via round two TKO. He fought in jungle fight promotions prior to the Dana White Contender Series opportunity. Now, I mentioned before he lost his pro debut, but after losing his pro debut, he ripped off 11 straight wins in a row. He's also on a long winning streak. His prior opponent, he fought Andre Muniz. No, not that Andre Muniz. This was about three years ago, 2019. It's not the same Andre Muniz. It's not the one that's in the UFC. He did win that fight, though, round one, 36-second knockout. He's got some power. His last fight, Pasili Afonso, 2022, this year, got a KO win. Afonso is 5-3 and three overall. He's also lost three of his last four fights. He knocked Afonso out with a counter right hand, and he shows you that nice striking power, good technique in that fight. Afonso, again, not the best competition. And that's my biggest critique of Souza. I do like everything I see from him. He is a balanced fighter. I have no reason to criticize the way he fights. Pretty good fighter IQ and balance. Can fight in the feet and also on the ground. It's the quality of competition. He just hasn't really fought very good guys. And when you see his schedule, it's like, yeah, 11 wins in a row. 11 wins in a row against whom? You know, who is he really fighting? Now, he is coming out of jungle fight promotions. It's one of the better regional promotions in the world. It's not like LFA or Cage Warriors, but it's pretty damn good. What I like about Sosa's game is he's got a very high finish rate. Eight of his 11 wins are by finish. And we just mentioned, coming out of a pretty good promotion. He's on an 11-fight winning streak. That in itself, even if it's cans, it's still 11 wins in a row. And with that winning streak, has not lost a fight in five years.
I like his striking technique. His right hand is lethal. He could use it as a follow-up to a jab or even as a counter. And in his last fight against Afonso, you saw him drop his opponent with that counter right hand. Now, my concerns for Souza. He also, too, holds his hands very low. Both guys don't demonstrate good boxing technique, not the fundamentals of keeping your guard up. And which leads me to believe if these guys start letting their hands go, we're going to have a high volume of strikes and probably a high amount of absorption of strikes. And it'll come down to who's got the better chin. Neither one of them has been finished before. He also likes to stand in trade. That could be a positive and a negative. Look, if you're down in a fight and you want a fighter to go out there and just you know fight for his money and go out there and try to win a round, you want that kind of person who can do that. So he's got that in him. He's got that in his DNA. He'll stay in the phone booth. He'll fight with you. It could also be to his detriment. Fareed's going to be looking to stick and move, but he too also suffers from this. He will look to fight with you maybe and go back and forth. So both fighters have to be careful of not getting themselves into a point where they're trading too much and taking too much damage. We mentioned before, my biggest critique of Sosa, it's not in the way he's fighting. It's the competition. We haven't seen him against someone where we could say, well, this fighter is of this competition level. We've seen him against guys that are middling around 500, regional fighters, some guys with two and three records, three and two records. Nothing again that we could draw a good conclusion about how high of a level fighter he is. So that's a big question mark for me is how good is he because he's been fighting can so far. And my last concern for Sosa is he did not fight at all last year. I'm not sure what that is. Was it an injury? But he did take the full year off. So he's fighting the second time now this year. He's being more active. I like that. But for some reason, he had a full year layoff in the early part of his career, which you don't like to see. You want to see these guys being more active. The fights we watched right on the film, we watched Sosa versus Afonso, 2022, earlier this year. Boshrat versus Guzman from earlier this year. And Boshrat versus Zanetti from 2020. If you want to watch any one of those three fights as part of our free video library, just look down below here on YouTube and you'll see those three links available in our description. Okay, my final few thoughts in this fight. I like Fareed Vashrat to win. I like him by decision. Both these guys have finishing power, but this is going to be the toughest matchup of their career, and they're both very evenly matched. I see the fight going to a close decision where Fareed Bashrat has a little more volume, lands the more notable strikes or punches or spinning kicks, has those more highlight moments. But in terms of anyone getting finished, I don't see it happening. I think these guys are evenly matched. I believe they come out and take their time in round one. They know they probably need to finish to get the contract. At the same time, a good performance against a good opponent Guys who both have good records could probably still secure themselves a UFC contract. So I like Free Boshrat. Experience-wise, I think it's a small edge. Very similar record, 8-0 versus 12 total fights for Souza, but I think he's fought the better fighters. Both guys have demonstrated the ability to finish at a very high rate, so I can't give an edge to either guy when it comes to finishing ability. In terms of striking, I think Boshrat has the advantage of striking. And when it comes to grappling and wrestling, I think the advantage is there for Souza. Again, don't get fooled by Boshrat's record of five rear naked chokes. He'll do it again if he hurts Souza and gets on his back. But Souza's the better grappler, the better wrestler, and he's coming from Brazil. It's kind of like in their DNA. It's just part of them. They can all grapple to some extent down there. Anyway, that's your breakdown, guys. I like Boshrat to win. At minus 240, a little hard to rationalize playing that straight up, but I'll be parlaying it. And we'll go over our plays at the end of the show. That's your breakdown, guys. Good luck with this fight. The main event for Dana White Contender Series Week 1 of 2022 is going to be a middleweight bout at 185 pounds between two American fighters, Ozzy Diaz and Joseph Pyre. Joseph Pyre goes by body bags. He's 8-2 overall, 3-2 in his last five fights. This is a pick -em. He's at minus 115 on the main line. You can get Ozzy Diaz around minus 105. So the value is about the same. Joseph Pyre is based out of Pennsylvania, though he's originally from New Jersey. He's 25 years old in 10 months, so about to be 26. Six foot one in high weight of 75 inch reach, and he's currently training out of Renzo Gracie Academy in Philadelphia, which has a lot of good guys like Sean Brady and Patrick Sabatini. So I do expect to see an improved Joseph Pyre from the last time we did see him. 
As for Ozzy Diaz, based out of California, 7-1 overall, 5-0 in his last five fights. He's based specifically out of Los Angeles, California, 31 years old, 6-4 in height. We don't have a reach number on him. Having watched his prior film, he's a very tall guy, 6-4 in height. I'm going to imagine his reach is probably around the same as Pyre, if not a little bit longer. As for the votes coming in on Tapology, it appears that Diaz is a huge favorite, getting 92% of the votes, only 8% coming in for Pyre. I disagree. I like Pyre to win the fight. I think he's got a great chance here, specifically the grappling edge. I think that's where he's going to take over the fight and probably wear down Diaz. On the feet striking, I can see Diaz having an advantage. But for me, outright, I like Pyre to win the fight. Now, how much confidence do I have? Probably a half unit, quarter unit straight up on Pyre. And I'll probably find some way to put him into a parlay, which we'll talk about at the end of the show. Now, looking at the background of these two fighters, Isaac Diaz had a 7-2 amateur record. He had a 27-second KO loss to Dominic Reyes. And, of course, Dominic Reyes is in the UFC, barely hanging on in the UFC. He went pro 2015, and Diaz fought in Bellator and LFA prior to the UFC. He went 2-0 in Bellator and 2-0 in LFA. And he fights out of a right-handed boxing stance. His last fight was against Bruno Assis. That was earlier this year. He won by round one TKO. He also fought Moses Muriata. That was last year, round two TKO win. And then, of course, we mentioned before that he lost to Dominic Reyes. That was back 2014, about eight years ago. Round one submission loss, 27 seconds. Submission loss. I said KO earlier. Yeah, he lost by submission, 27 seconds. He just kind of fell into it. I think he went for a takedown, got his head caught. It was a quick win for Dominic Reyes. Now, the thing to like about his game, what is there to like about the way that Diaz fights? 100% finish rate. All of his wins so far have been by finish. He's fought pretty good competition. Obviously, he fought Dominic Reyes as an amateur fighter. He's fought some Bellator bouts. He's fought in LFA. So his quality of competition thus far in his career, pretty good. He throws a variety of kicks. Kicks to the body, kicks to the head, kicks to the lower legs. If he includes his kicking game, he doesn't get too tired. That's a great way to keep his opponent off balance. And he'll have a three-inch height advantage. Now, we're not sure about the reach. We don't have that reach number, but I'm imagining his reach will be the same as his opponent, if not more. But he definitely will have a three-inch height advantage. Now, what are my concerns for Diaz? His striking defense is not so great. Even though he's got pretty good hands and a pretty good jab, and most of the time he's buttering his bread on the feet, he doesn't block many punches. He does get a little bit tired. And that leads me to my second point. Cardio is not his strong suit either. If we get into a round two or three, if he gets taken down too much, I can imagine that becoming a big problem for him. As for Joseph Pyre, he grew up in South Jersey, small town. He had a rough home life. It was kind of a situation where there was some drugs, some alcohol abuse, and then it was a really bad divorce. As he went into high school, he met a high school coach who helped him out, mentored him, obviously he got into wrestling, and that became a way for him to keep himself grounded, kind of get away from the madness at home, and get himself focused on life beyond high school. At Pencrest High School in New Jersey, his senior year, he went 37-6 and six in wrestling. He didn't qualify for state championships, but if you look him up online, there was a handful of articles about him. He was a pretty damn good wrestler. He went 4-1 and one as an amateur. He went pro just in 18. He fought in Ring of Combat and Art of War, part of the UFC. And as we said before, this will mark the second time he's fighting on the Contender Series. His most recent opponents, he fought in 2020 against Dustin Solfus on the Dana White Contender Series, and he lost in round one via a dislocated elbow. It's a close fight. Things are going well. Maybe he's kind of winning. It's a close fight. Round one, whatever. Dustin Stolfus picks him up, takes him down. As Joseph goes to put his hand down to sort of break the fall, his elbow just gives up. It's a fluke thing. It's a shame. Happened. But it was only two years ago. I think he's a better fighter now. As for Dustin Stolfus, he hasn't been lighting it up in the UFC. But you know what? Just won his last fight. So give him some credit. And at least Joseph held his own in that fight. At least you could say that about him. So from that standpoint, the injury's bad. Yes, he didn't win, didn't get a contract. That stuff's not good. But there's a lot of positive to take from that fight. Another opponent, Austin Trotman, 2021, round two KO win. That was in CFFC. CFFC is a pretty good promotion. So quality win against a journeyman type of opponent, but still quality win. And then one more fight to talk about is Johadovan Patel, 2019, round two submission loss. Patel is six and six overall and currently on a three fight losing streak. 
those are the kind of things in the topology of Joseph Pyre which get you concerned. He's been injured before, so you wonder about durability. And then you got losses here against guys that are 500 level fighters who are on losing streaks. So he hasn't been lighting it up. I'm counting on the fact that he's gone to Renzo Gracie, new gym, you know, hunkered things down. It's two years later. I think he's made some big improvements. And if he's rolling on the mat a few days a week with these guys over there at Renzo Gracie, his submission ability, his BJJ skills should have made big improvements in that area already tied into having a wrestling background. Now, what's to like about Joseph Pyre? High finish rate. Seven of his eight wins have been finishes. He has an active kicking game as well. So even though his background is wrestling, and you're thinking of him as like a high school wrestler or whatever else, he has more of a karate stance. He stands at very tall, more Thai stance. I shouldn't say karate. Muay Thai stance, stands at very tall, chin's very high, and has a very good kicking game, as I was mentioning before. He also has a tremendous physique. The guy comes in looking in very good shape. He'll have the better physique of the two guys. Ozzy Diaz looks like maybe he could cut a few pounds, kind of carrying a few pounds extra that he doesn't need to be carrying so in terms of his physique how he looks very strong and his cardio is pretty good i do worry at times about the physique he has that made that'll drain his gas tank but so far cardio has been an issue for him now what are my concerns for joseph body bags pfeiffer the first one is he's lost two of his last four fights and he was finished in both of those losses he holds his hands low at times so even if you're just standing in front of him and you have a quick jab he tends to eat that jab his hands are low his guards never really up there to block the jab and his head movement is a bit limited he's not the quickest of feet He's a stronger guy, good in the grappling situations. It's not that he's slow. He's not quick. It's a difference, right? You can be kind of fast. You can have good, strong movements, be powerful, but quickness is not his thing. And so in terms of like head movement, blocking punches, his guard, on his feet, he's a liability. He needs to get the fight to the clinch, against the cage, to the ground. That's where he operates best. And when you watch him throw his power strikes, they're powerful. They're big. They're loopy. If they land, they'll do some damage, but they're not very technically sound. It's not likely he lands a lot of those shots, and if he does... Maybe he stuns his opponent for a second, but his boxing skills, they're limited, and his striking skills overall are not the best. Again, he needs to keep the fight to the ground, get into the clinch. That's where he's going to have the best path to victory. The fights we watched right in this film, we watched Diaz versus Muriata from 2021, Diaz versus Reyes from 2014, and Pfeiffer versus Stolfish from 2020. If you want to watch any one of those three fights as part of our free video library, just look down below here on YouTube, and you'll see those three links available in the description. My final few thoughts to close out this fight, guys. Experience-wise, very similar. You got 10 fights versus 9 total fights. Cardio, I'm going to give a small edge to Pfeiffer. Ozzy Diaz gets sloppy, and everyone gets sloppy when they get tired, but he gets a little extra sloppy. So maybe it's cardio, maybe it's the way he carries himself, maybe it's the fact that he sweats a lot. I think there's just going to be a small cardio advantage there for Joseph Pfeiffer, who is the younger fighter. Okay, he's younger by about five years. ICD is at 31, a bit older here for this show. Nonetheless, they've had some older guys in the past. But I do think this fight's set up better for Joseph Pfeiffer, who's the younger fighter, younger prospect. As for finishing ability, both guys have a very high finishing rate. If you want to bet that prop when it comes out, the fight not going to decision, that's probably a good prop to bet on because both these guys get all their wins via finish. As for striking, I'm going to give the striking advantage to Diaz. On the feet, he's the better striker. He's got a better jab, just better overall striking technique. Will probably throw and land more strikes overall. On the ground, that's what the advantage is going to be for Joseph Pfeiffer. So when it comes to grappling, I give the edge to Joseph Pfeiffer. And I do think he wears down Diaz over the course of three rounds where he's able to eventually get those takedowns easier and easier and then keep some top control. We saw a handful of fights this past weekend where fights were being determined by position control. So I think Pfeiffer follows that type of game plan and takes some top control, wears down Diaz, and eventually wins the fight in the scorecards. The few props I want to mention before I wrap this up, the fight that's not going to decision, Pfeiffer by TKO or Diaz by TKO. Across the board, not going to have a lot of exposure in this fight. Probably going to take just a small bet in the money line on Joseph Pfeiffer straight up, but who knows? Anything's possible. These guys are both young prospects, but the math tells me that Pfeiffer's got a slight advantage. We're going Pfeiffer to win the fight. Good luck. Okay, just to summarize our picks for Dana White Contender Series Week 1 of 2022, we like Joseph Pyer in the main event. 
Co-main event, we like Fareed Bashrat. Moving on down, we like Anton Turkle. We like Khalil Romero as the underdog. Our only dog on the card, we're taking him at plus 180. And then the first fight in the card, Alessandro Costa at minus 240. We're taking him to win. Some parlays will be playing. Parlay number one would take Costa at minus 240 and combining with Basharat at minus 250. That gives us minus 102 odds. Let's pick a money. We're going to put one unit on that parlay. Second parlay we're going to be playing at a half unit will be Pfeiffer at minus 105 and Turkle at minus 190 for a two-leg parlay that gives us plus 197 odds. We're playing that for a half unit. And for us, the full unit is $100. So a half unit would be $50. Bucks. A quarter unit would be $25 and so on and so on. Our third parlay we're going to be playing will be Turkle and Basharat. So Turkle's at minus 190, Basharat at minus 250. That gives us plus 133 odds. Nice odds there. A half unit on that parlay. Moving down to a three-leg parlay, Costa at minus 240, Basra at minus 250, and Turkle at minus 190 gives us plus 202 odds. We're going to put a quarter unit on that or $25. Our lottery parlay, which will be all the fights on the card, will be Costa at minus 240, Romero at plus 170, Turkle at minus 190, Basra at minus 250, and Pfeiffer at minus 105. That gives us plus 1,495 odds. Maybe throw, I don't know, 10 bucks on that, 10 bucks to win, like, what, $150. We only have two straight bets. Pfeiffer at minus 105, we're going to put a half unit on that. And at plus 170, Romero, we're going to put a half unit on that bet as well. Not a lot of confidence in our straight picks. That's why we're doing a lot of parlaying. And even our parlaying, it's low-level action. Half unit here, half unit there, quarter unit. Our biggest bet will be one unit, and that's the Costa and Bashrat parlay. Costa and Bashrat is probably our two most confident picks to win their respective fights. But again, what are we talking about? It's new fighters, a lot of variables. For Pfeiffer, I will acknowledge, he has a very tough test. That is a pick -em. You're not getting any plus money either way. That's a tough fight for me to call. And then Romero, that pick at the plus 180 underdog. I just think he may be able to do the wrestling necessary to slow things down. He's not a state champion, but good wrestler in high school in California. I think he may have what it takes. And at plus 180, I'm giving him a shot to pull it off. There's probably going to be more than one dog that wins. It's a matter of finding out which one it's going to be. I think it's going to be Romero. And lastly, before we wrap things up, guys, if you want to track our bets, they're available on betmma.tips. That link's down below in the description. Thanks for joining us, guys. We hope you like the breakdown. Enjoy the fights on Tuesday night, midweek MMA. You got to love it. Deuces.